Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.33 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 16th of December, 2021. This is episode 519 of Bitcoin and science. It still exists. Science actually still is alive. No matter what the uh, clown world has done to, I don't know, crush it, destroy it, make it untrustworthy to us so that we never believe anything that could possibly be objective ever again in our entire lives, even through all that, science still exists. And I want to talk, basically start this show out talking about something called Sci-Hub. S-C-I hyphen H-U-B. It is from a Russian girl who started it, I believe, as an 18-year-old. She was a teenager, and she was frustrated with the fact that you could not get articles like scientific articles from, you know, places like, you know, nature, science, biochemica, you know, the, the actual top tier peer reviewed science journals where academics and PhDs and all those guys and all their laboratories, when they, when they examine a thing and they find out something about that thing, they publish the results of that study. And that ends up being what's called an academic paper. You can't get them. No, you can't. Not unless you are a student in a college that is active, your credentials are active, or you are faculty and or staff of a university that has very expensive subscriptions to something like nature, science, and like, I don't know, I came out of Texas Tech. Our research library is top tier like literally grade A top tier research library. I had access to fucking everything, man. I mean, the top 500 journals in the world were at my fingertips. And now I don't have that access anymore because I'm not an employee of Texas Tech University. So I really wanted to dive in to how is it that fungi and plants how is it that they're connected? Because I talk about that shit all the time. If you haven't listened to some of the regen ag stuff that I've done, you know, if you go back and listen to them or, you know, my last uh, episode that, or not my last episode, but uh, Modern T-Man, uh, Texas Slim, I was on his show and with a uh, local rancher and we were talking about soil and I kind of got into the whole fungus and, and uh, plant root sim, uh, symbiosis. And I came across this paper that was written, as far as I can tell, man, this thing was written in 2008. We've known about that something was going on in the soil between what's called mycorrhizae fungi and uh, plant roots for quite a while. 
<clears throat> but um, it's in in the terms of how long science has been going on and how much we've been studying like everything under the sun from you know protoplasm to you know supernova all you know deep sea stuff we have barely scratched the surface of what's going on in the soil so i wanted to start out today with a science lesson all right and this is i'm going to connect it to bitcoin don't worry it's, i mean this is this is bitcoin and and this just happens to be bitcoin and science today not all all of it i'll get into some some stuff here in a minute i don't want to take too long on this but i do want you to know that if you are in need okay of academic articles that you don't have access to you need to go to sci-hub and the the address is it's a little it's a little long okay but i want you to have this resource because i was able to put in the url from the from the nature nature's website nature is the publication they have a website if you have access to it which is very expensive you can get the papers but if you don't have access to it, you can still get the URL of the paper. And if you plug the URL into SciHub, chances are good you may actually get the full-length paper because what you can only you can only read the abstract, the very short write-up at the top, and maybe a couple of figures and tables. But that's it. You don't get the whole paper. I now have the whole paper for free from SciHub. The URL is sci-hubtw dot hkvisa.net all right otherwise just google or duckduckgo sci-hub with a hyphen in it sci hyphen hub now check this shit out this particular one is titled arbuscular mycorrhizae the mother of plant root endosymbiosis which means endo means inside and in this case it means inside the plant in, in, and getting, you know, a little bit further into it, it actually is inside the plant cells. Yes, boys and girls, there is a fungus that lives in the soil that will sidle up to plant roots, get into the plant roots, and actually penetrate into the cell of the plant roots. And a wonderful thing happens when that happens. Now, check it out. Plant roots connected to a plant and 98 or 99 percent of all terrestrial plants on earth which terrestrial means on land not we're not talking about waterborne plants we're talking about land plants 99 98 99 percent of them form a relationship with mycorrhizal fungi there's ectomycorrhizal fungi there's endomycorrhizal fungi and there's a couple of other ones but the ecto means that it just hangs out on the very outside of the cell endo means that there is cellular penetration okay and this is where shit gets really cool because you think that that would destroy stuff it doesn't here's why it's important first and we'll, and then well i want to get into how it happens the reason why it's important is that fungus the ectomycorrhizal fungus is like has these hair-like structures it's its entire thing is a hair-like structure that are microscopic in an individual hair of this fungus you cannot see with your naked eye and they're at like uh, under your like if you take one step on the forest floor underneath the footprint of your boot or whatever just like if you were to take the area of your shoe you know uh, shoe sole 
Underneath that is about 3,000 miles of this thread. Think about that, 3,000 miles. It goes everywhere and it's three-dimensional. It goes down, it goes to the side and it penetrates right to the very top of the soil. This mycorrhizal fungi has the ability to reach into places in the soil that a plant root can't. Because plants, when you look at a, at a root structure of any kind of plant, whether it's a tree or wheat or barley or lettuce or whatever, their roots basically branch and they branch again, they branch again. And after a while, they get to the point where they just can't branch anymore. But there's so much soil that the plant roots are not in contact with. Therefore, that plant cannot access those spaces. They cannot access those materials, those resources, that water, that nitrogen, that stuff that that plant needs, right? So what does it do? It makes friends with this thing that can, and it makes really good friends with this thing that can. And this thing that can is mycorrhizal fungi. It, its branching structures go even further than the tiniest of the tiny of root hairs of a terrestrial plant by a factor of like a hundred which is like, okay, let's say that it's a, like, let's say it's a factor of three, which in math terms essentially means raised to the third power. So you get about a thousand times more surface area that the mycorrhizal stuff can contact in the soil than the plant root can. So it makes good sense for the plant to say, you know what, I, I will allow this fungus to form a, re a physical relationship with my roots so that it can pass me water, it passes ammonia, it passes amino acids that are in the soil, which are large molecules, it passes phosphate, magnesium, molybdenum, carb, uh, not, well, not carbon, that, we'll come get to that in a second, copper, uh, iron, you name it, man. There's about 20 micronutrients that 99% of plants have to have in order to function at their full potential. It's not just potassium, cal or um, what is it? Uh, the NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, right? Or potash, and for lack of a better term. Um, it needs those, those are the macronutrients <clears throat> and that's what you find on a bag of fertilizer, those three three numbers, that refers to N, P, and K. But they don't have 20 micronutrients that the plant actually needs. But luckily enough for the plant, all that shit's in all soils all over the world. It just so happens that different soils will lock up that shit in different ways. So the mycorrhizae have this ability to mineralize all of those substances and internalize them into these hyper-thin hairs called hyphae of the mycorrhizal fungi. And it is a transport network. It transports all this shit. Where does it transport all these micronutrients to? That's right, the plant root. But why would it do this? You don't work for free. Nobody on the planet works for free. Why would you expect mycorrhizal fungi to work for free? It doesn't. It wants something in return. What does it want? What it wants is carbon. That's where the carbon comes in here, right? So what's happening is that 
the fungus forms a relationship with the plant root and in return for sugar or rather carbon, but in the form of different kinds of sugar, that enables the mycorrhizal fungi to be able to digest, mineralize, and transport all this cool stuff that it itself doesn't really use. It uses the carbon. And it, by the way, the reason it needs the carbon is that it can't produce food on its own. It, it can mineralize all manner of shit, but what it really needs is carbon. And the plants provide that in the form of sugar. How? Photosynthesis. In fact, about anywhere, I've heard numbers that anywhere between 40 and 70% of all of the products of photosynthesis, which is sugar, is exuded out of the root system of the plant and into the soil. And a lot of that percentage goes to mycorrhizal fungi. It's feeding the mycorrhizal fungi so the mycorrhizal fungi can use its much finer network and its ability to contact much more soil mass than the plant can and trades that carbon for the micronutrients that come in. What's interesting is that when we get to the physicalities of how that works, the mycorrhizal fungi contact a plant cell, produce some things called lactones and drills and those lactones do things to the cell wall of the plant that enables the hyphae to not puncture the cell, but actually form a structure inside of the cell. The cell wall basically kind of retreats into the cell, not retreats like as in dissipates or dissolves or something like that. No, the cell wall is still there to protect the plant cell because without that cell wall, plant cell go bye-bye, right? So we've got full physical penetration into the root cell of the plant and not just to the very first layer of root cells. No, 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 sir. It goes on into like the third, the fourth, the fifth, very many layers of cells down into the root until it gets to some cortical membranes. We'll get to that. But when it finally gets to its, when it finally gets to these cells that, ah, here I am, this is where I need to be. And it knows this is where it needs to be because those cells are the cells that are transporting the plant sugars through the root system. Those sugars are then converted in this space between the cells, you know, the, the plant cyto, uh, cyto, uh, so what's called the cytoplasm and through the cell wall. And in that space, the fungus starts producing things that takes plant sugars and converts it into sucrose. And then that sucrose is converted into hexose. And this, there's a lot of different ones, but this is one simple example. And that hexose is then transported into the fungal cell where it is turned into glycogen and something called tag. And those are transported into the fungus. The fungus, on the other hand, takes in nitrogen from the atmosphere. It also takes in ammonia in the form of, or ammonium in the form of NH4. And it also takes in amino acids and throws it into a vesicle, which is like a transport bubble. It literally packages the whole thing up. And then that actually gets transported back into 
the part of the fungus that is inside of the plant cell. And then at that point, the plant, uh, tra there's plant transporters that will allow those articles that are given to it, including stuff like molybdenum and phosphate and all, you know, the nitrogen and iron, and there's all manner of different kinds of transports, but they all come into the plant through the fungus. And then that interstitial space between the fungus and the cell wall now has mechanics that throw that stuff into the plant's cell's cytoplasm. And then that gets transported back up into the plant so that it can get iron and molybdenum and aluminum and calcium and all kinds of neat stuff that it wouldn't be able to normally get on its own. It's using the fungus as a miner. Okay, the, the fungus goes out and mines all the stuff and gets paid in carbon. So how does this even come close to relating to Bitcoin? Well, think about it. And don't lose your mind when you first hear this, okay? <clears throat> banks. I'm just going to go ahead and say the word. Banks. We always keep talking about the unbanked. Think of the banks, central banks, all the way down to your corner store retail bank as the mass of the tree that is, un that is in the soil, okay? Like I said before, you get bifurcation, you know, like roots split and they get smaller and they split and they get smaller and they split until they finally just can't split anymore because of the way that the plant is structured. The plant cells in, in particular, the size of the cell actually is sort of like what stop after a while you got like, like two or three cells and the, the plant root can't function anymore because it just doesn't have the cortical layers that it needs. So it stops. How much of the soil is quote unquote unbanked? Remember, it's like we, we talk about the unbanked of Venezuela, the unbanked of Africa, the unbanked. Bitcoin is going after the unbanked. What if we look at this a little bit differently? Let's say, for, and let's just bear with me, let's just say that we are not at war with central banks. We are, by the way. I'm not going to give that shit up. We are at war with central banking, but let's say we're not. Let's say that Fed, the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, was actually a good guy. And he really actually did want to do the best for all the people of the earth and not just his crony friends. Okay, let's just, let's just make that an assumption for now. What would be a good way for them to be able to get to the unbanked? Gee, that would be a connection to a network that has a much more massive footprint of well, a much more massive footprint in the soil to go into the places that the plant roots, i.e. central banking and all the member banks, cannot penetrate. They don't have the resources. And here comes Bitcoin as a fungus. And it connects the major banking system to all the rest of the soil that those banking roots were not able to tap. If this was a good relationship, with central banks and central banks weren't controlled by the crap that we see, the crap that we know, then what you've got is one hell of a way to mobilize humanity. What's great about fungus is that it doesn't depend on one single tree or one single plant. That same genetic organism that is the mycorrhizal fungi that came from one spore 
and branched out into this massive network, not only will infect the roots of one tree and become symbiotically connected to it, it will also symbiotically connect to another living tree. Now those two trees are physically connected through a information network. Get where I'm going? And then that same mass that has two, let's say two oak trees, will connect to a pine tree. Guess what? It doesn't give a shit. It doesn't care. It doesn't need to care where it's, you know, what organisms that it's going for. But it'll also, you know, connect itself to grasses. So now grasses and trees of different kinds are all connected together. And all of them are benefiting in the same way that that single tree does. If you cut down the central bank tree, the other tree doesn't die. The other plants don't die. Bitcoin becomes the underground central bank and all of the new banks that we will see coming up and that this is going to happen. Central banks are going to die, but new instances are going to come up. They're going to end up depending upon the Bitcoin network to be able to mine the soil that the roots will never be able to get to. Just keep that in mind. All right. <clears throat> so I hope you enjoyed a little bit of a different start to the show, even though it was 20 minutes long and I do apologize, but we do need to start thinking in terms of how is it that we're going to make sure that, that Bitcoin survives in what circumstances can the central bank die and Bitcoin take over, but still be able to service possibly more ethically based trees, i.e. banks as they come up. This is one way to think about it. It's not the only way to think about it. And I'll bring, bring you more of this kind of stuff, you know, in, in later shows, but I wanted to test it out on you today. If you hated this, you need to let me know. If I fucked it up, you need to let me know. You can't just let me get away with shit, okay? You got to actually stand on my shoulders and, you know, beat me around the head and shoulders a little bit, you know, to, to keep, me, keep me in line. So let's get into some news, though. Bitcoin price jumps towards 50K as the Fed chair speaks. Speaking of Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, we have this one written by Namsios for Bitcoin Magazine. Federal Reserve said in a statement on Wednesday that it will speed up the decrease of its monthly asset purchases starting in January as inflation keeps rising above its long-run target of 2%. The central bank decided to double the pace of reductions in asset purchases and will now cut it by $30 billion per month compared to a previous state of $15 billion. The Fed expects to cease the purchases of assets by mid-March, months before its previous expectations. The central bank will not raise interest rates until that happens, but they see three rate hikes coming in 2022. Bitcoin, which was in negative territory right before the announcement, quickly geared upwards to hit 49,500 at the time of writing. BTC is trading above 49,000. Quote, the economy is so much stronger now, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said in his post-meeting conference call, justifying the committee's decision. Quote, inflation is well above target and growth is well above potential, end quote. Powell added that the central bank would use its tools to prevent higher inflation from becoming entrenched in the economy and expects inflation to decline closer to its target level by the end of next year. He reiterated that a healthier labor market and elevated inflation means the economy is growing strong and no longer needs the Fed's accommodative policies. The Fed will keep the target range for the federal funds rate between zero and 0.25%. 
Powell said the central bank would only raise rates after asset purchases come to a halt. When asked why not stop purchasing right now instead of in a few months, Powell said, quote, it's best to take a careful approach to make adjustments, citing how interconnected global markets are and how they move based on expectations of change, not on change itself. Financial markets had been fearful ahead of the Fed's resolution on monetary policy, a worry that policymakers would take a more aggressive stance than expected drove most assets to trade down for the first couple of days of the week. A failure to deliver on such agitations led fear to be flushed out of the market and indices and assets worldwide to trade in the green. Bitcoin was no different and began taking back most of the losses experienced in the day. Powell also commented on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as he was asked whether he envisioned any risks emerging from such assets. The Fed boss replied to the central, or that the central bank doesn't see Bitcoin and cryptocurrency posing threats to the stability of the U.S. financial system, adding that stablecoins are especially of interest to the central bank as they can be useful. And again, that's Nomcios for Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, the only thing that I can say about this is that I'm actually surprised that the price of Bitcoin rose after the statements of Jerome Powell at FOMAC. Why? Well, because one of the things that we always talk about is inflation. And if the Federal Reserve actually does what they say they're going to do, that could put the heels on inflation rising any further. Not that that helps us out. Us plebs already got raked over the coals. Because these prices, the prices that you see at the store, they ain't ever going down. Ever. I, I, no, I just don't see it. That They're never going to go down. So they reset the global economy. They made prices of everything in every country two to three to five times more expensive. And guess what? Again, wages did not rise to meet. So they've reset the entire financial world, even though it may not look like the reset that we thought we were going to get, but they have reset prices. And now they're just going to stop buying everything. And guess what? Prices of bread and milk and housing and fuel and all that shit, and it's never going to go down. And we're all still fucked. But I am surprised that Bitcoin rose in price because I would have thought that the knee-jerk reaction of traders would be, well, that's it for inflation. And Bitcoin was no longer going to be an inflation hedge, so let's, let's bail out and buy treasuries or something like that. So it's good to see that this has happened for the price of Bitcoin, but we're going to have to see what's going on you know, over the week, over Christmas, because we always get this weird thing going on across the Christmas holidays. Uh, for the price of Bitcoin. So we'll have to see if that uh, maintains its history or it, its historical path. Now, moving on, never, ever, ever mine Bitcoin in China again. If they invite you back, refuse. Why? Well, Prashant Jha has this one from Cointelegraph telling us that the Beige, a Beijing court rejects monetary compensation and Bitcoin mining contract plea. A district court in Beijing has rejected monetary compensation in a Bitcoin mining contract plea against a blockchain company. The Chaoyang District People's Court on Wednesday deemed the Bitcoin mining contract between the plaintiff and the blockchain firm invalid, the South China Morning Post reported on Thursday. The plaintiff in the case reportedly paid 10 million won or $1.6 million to the blockchain firm for the deployment of mining machines 
but incurred losses on his investment. The Beijing-based plaintiff claimed he earned only 18.5 BTC on his investment and demanded an additional 217 BTC in compensation for his losses. The court rejected the plea and also directed the Sichuan branch of the National Development and Reform Commission to look into any illegal mining going on in the province. China started its crypto mining crackdown last summer, which resulted in the migration of some of the biggest Bitcoin mining companies from the country. China's hash rate, fell, uh, hash rate share fell from over 60% to nearly zero in the aftermath of the mining crackdown. However, even after eradicating crypto mining almost completely, Beijing announced a massive policy drive against crypto trading and mining again in September prohibiting even small-scale operations at home and banning all foreign cryptocurrency exchanges. The Beijing-led crypto crackdown policies have only become stricter since then. Even though Chinese traders have found ways to bypass crypto trading bans on numerous occasions, crypto mining is almost extinct in mainland China. The latest court case regarding a Bitcoin mining contract highlights China's stand on crypto-related activities. It's sending a clear message to the public that the judicial system will not protect or recognize crypto-related cases. So now the judiciary is in on the ban. They're, they basically banned any kind of hearing on a crypto-related you know, uh, court case at all. Like So if you got screwed because you bought mining rigs and then had them hosted in China and then you got the rug pull that China pulled in the summer, well, too bad, sorry for you, which is why, and I kind of expect this in the next couple of years, to China relax their stance on crypto mining, especially Bitcoin mining, and they're going to try to get miners back into China. And then if you do that, if you're a miner and you go back to China, maybe you got family there or something like that, and it's a way to get back to your homeland and do what you love to do. If you do, they're going to rug pull your ass again. And this time they're not going to allow you to take your machines with you. I'm very surprised that they did it the first time. They are not going to be that accommodating the second time. So what's the answer to that? Don't go back. Don't ever go back. You might want to go to El Salvador though. Because the Bitcoin Beach wallet creator has raised $3 million. Nice. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine, Namcios again. Galoy, the creator of the Bitcoin Beach wallet in El Salvador, has raised $3 million in a new seed round, the company said in a statement Wednesday. Uh, they're a developer of the Bitcoin banking software, uh, work closely with the Bitcoin Beach community to help them use BTC as money for daily transactions empowered by the Lightning Network. Quote, the suite of Galois solutions enables any community, company, or government to offer banking services using Bitcoin and Lightning, per the statement. Kingsway Capital, Tramble Venture Partners, and Balaji, I can't pronounce his name, joined the company in its mission to accelerate Lightning adoption through the company's open source Bitcoin banking platform. Quote, Galois is inventing Bitcoin tools at the intersection of SAAS, or SAAS, and Frontier Markets, said Kingsway Capital founder Manuel Stotts in a statement. Continuing, he said, the team has already delivered a successful proof of concept in El Salvador. This can serve as a model for leaders in emerging markets to replicate, end quote. Craft Ventures led the funding. Fulger Ventures, Bitcoiner Ventures, Vijay Boyapati, and Brad Mills participated in the seed round. Quote, we are witnessing lightning accelerate the evolution of Bitcoin from a speculative asset to a conventional payment rail, Brian Murray, COO and partners of Kraft Ventures said. 
Continuing, he also said, Galoi is building a platform that will make it simple for everyone around the world to use Bitcoin as money. Galoi's pilot product, the Bitcoin Beach Wallet, served as inspiration for El Salvador's move to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. The company said its opinionated Bitcoin banking platform could be leveraged by communities, governments, and companies seeking to embrace the world's hardest money. Quote, the Galoi tech stack includes comprehensive features for launching a Bitcoin bank, a secure backend API, mobile wallets, point of sale apps, compliance tools, and administrative controls. Galoi also offers hosted banking as a service or BAAS solutions for those seeking fully managed implementations and support. So there you go. The guys that created the Bitcoin Beach Wallet have just raised another $3 million. Looks like they are going to be well on their way to doing Series B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, whatever. I don't care. Let's, uh, let's run the numbers. Well, it wasn't just Bitcoin that got a raise out of uh, the Fed uh, or the FOMAC meeting. Um, We have energy up. Flammable uh, liquids are all up across the board. West Texas Intermediate up 0.89% to $71.50. Brent, likewise, also up 0.64% to $74.35. Natural gas up a point and a half, $3.85 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline per gallon up also 0.89%, $2.14 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks having a heyday. I'm sure Peter Schiff is very aware and glad and will probably start gloating later on in the in the day. Gold up 1.76%, $1,795.50. Silver up four and a quarter percent to $22.50. Platinum up three, wow, 3.64%. Holy shit, guys. 3.6 or yeah, 3.63%. Copper is up 3.24%, and check this shit out. Palladium up nine and a half points. Again, to repeat, in case you missed it, palladium is up nine and a half points. Agricultural futures are mixed. Your biggest loser today is chocolate, 1.22% to the downside. The biggest winner is rough rice, which is almost a point to the upside. Uh, Dow futures up 0.3, S&P futures up 0.11, NASDAQ futures down, amazingly, almost, well, actually it just hit 0.6% to the downside, S&P mini up 0.63% to the downside, and real money is chilling out at $48,731 with 278,000 transactions conducted in the last day. That's about 11,500 transactions per hour on average. With 679 BTC changing hands in that period, that's 28,300 BTC every hour on the hour changing hands. Average transaction value of those transactions are 2.44% BTC. The median transaction value is 0.015 BTC or right at 709 bucks. Block times are high by damn near a minute, 10 minutes, 50 seconds. 0.079 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 10.5 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 1.22% decrease in hash rate, we are chilling out at 171.59 exahashes per second. 
Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, which recovered some of its losses yesterday after it had a big gain because, you know, Elon Musk said, you can buy a t-shirt with Doge at Tesla. Who gives a shit? It's back up to 18 United States pennies and it ain't worth one of them. 6,000 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization of $914 billion, which is 7.77% of gold's entire market cap. And you can get 27 ounces of gold with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,902,435 and one quarter. 3,290 of those are chilling out in the Lightning Network, valued at $159.1 million, being run over 18,658 nodes, holding 82,176 payment channels, and 75.2% of all of it is on tour. And with 11,500 nodes, or at least tour nodes that we know about, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Uh, <clears throat> former South Carolina governor candidate is mining Bitcoin. Namcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Former South Carolina governor candidate John Warren is now mining Bitcoin through a new business venture he formed with four other founding partners, Jim Mining, according to a report by the Associated Press. Warren told the AP that he and his partners saw huge opportunities with their mining connections adding that he expects the Greenville-based company to be the largest of its kind in South Carolina and soon be among the top handful in the country. Quote, Warren said Jim, G-E-M, has raised more than $200 million in institutional capital from banks, hedge funds, endowments, and pension funds to operate more than 32,000 machines to mine Bitcoin. Whoa, per the report. That's a, that's big. That's a lot larger than I thought it was going to be. Holy shit. <clears throat> the company said it has over 9,000 machines fully operational and has mined more than 400 Bitcoin in the past nine months. According to the report, Jim has been profitable since February and its November revenue amounted to $7.8 million with its operations being 92% carbon neutral. Jim is Warren's first business venture after selling mortgage firm Lima One Capital in 2019. The businessman rose into the political spotlight in 2018 when he employed millions of his own money to fund his South Carolina governorship campaign, seeking to unseat Governor Henry McMaster. Warren finished second in a four-way GOP primary, an unexpected result as a newcomer. Quote, even though he'd entered the race just months before the primary, Warren netted the endorsements of two of the also-rans uh, before narrowly losing to McAllister in a continuous runoff, the report said. Not bad, honestly. I mean, now we got South Carolina that's kind of starting to go the way of Florida, Texas, and Tennessee. And I'm just really waiting on New Hampshire, uh, somebody out of New Hampshire to start mining Bitcoin too. Because if we get Texas, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, and New Hampshire, basically all the states, in, if you draw the line from Texas to New Hampshire, down through Tennessee, South Carolina, down to Florida, and then back over to Texas, you've got, a, you've got sort of a golden triangle there. And it cuts off Washington, D.C., New York State, and like all kinds of, of stuff. And 
basically has, uh, it's a triangle that sits in between all of the Western states and a lot of the people that are causing problems on the uh, Eastern seaboard. I think it would be awesome if we saw Louisiana, Arkansas start falling in line, you know, maybe even Oklahoma, stuff like that. That would be really interesting. And maybe balkanization can, can begin because honestly, and I saw this as a tweet earlier this morning is that, um, Oh, what was it? Um, we were talking, was talking about this. If all 50 states secede all at once, not from the United States, but from the United States government as represented by Washington, D.C., and basically kick Washington, D.C. out of the union. Because if we did that, what happens to everything? Well, all the army bases, all, I mean, basically everything that is federally, federal government controlled ends up in the hands of the state. The only thing that could really throw a wrench into that is if the entire United States military, all branches, do not fall in line with that. And somehow or another, the Pentagon, even though Washington, D.C. is kicked out of the union, just says, you know what, screw it. We're just going to do, you know, it's operations as usual. I, I don't know. It would be it would be odd. But I have been waiting for a complete secession of all 50 states for a long time. Will I see it? Probably not. Do I wish it happens? Yes, I do. Very much so. Because all we really need to do is just reconstitute the United States of America back under the Constitution of the United States and essentially rid ourselves of all of the constitutional amendments passed I don't know. Women get to vote. We don't have slaves. All that shit came past the 10th Amendment. But there's stuff like the Federal Reserve Act, the you know income tax. There's like all manner of weird amendments that don't make any sense to average people. If we could just eject all that bullshit out and start over, maybe this time we won't be so apathetic to who we allow to get into power. I would rather we just didn't allow anybody to get into power, but it appears that the human the human nature demands it. I don't know. I just want to be out of this under the thumb of Washington, D.C. I like the United States of America, but everything going on at the federal level is clown world trophy worthy, right? So now it, on to across the Pacific. Tether lauds Myanmar shadow government for making USDT an official currency. Burma. It's not Myanmar. Stop using the name. It's Burma. The people are Burmese. Okay. This is the same crap that we're seeing from China and Taiwan where, Oh, Taiwan, we don't recognize Taiwan. It's really China. No, the same shit happened in Burma and they got a military coup and the military took over and then they renamed the country Myanmar and everybody says Myanmar and it's not, it's Burma. If you talk to the Burmese people, they don't like what's going on with the military junta that took over. But let's find out how Tether is doing this. Now I've read, I've read a couple of things or at least one thing about this before, but that was from, uh, that was basically a news story about the government of Burma or the shadow government of Burma uh, taken on Tether as legal currency. Let's see what Tether has to say about it. Tether, the issuer of the eponymous stablecoin, has praised the decision of Burma's parallel government 
the National Unity Government, or NGU, actually NUG, or the NUG, to use USDT as an official currency. Burma's NUG is a shadow government run by the supporters of Nobel Peace Prize winner Aung San Suu Kyi. As Cointelegraph reported on December 13th, NUG announced Tether's USDT as official currency currency for local use in an official Facebook post. Oh, that's sad. The finance minister claimed that USDT would offer much needed trade and transaction efficiency. In an official blog post, Tether commended the decision taken by the NUG, a government that is recognized by the European Union and has received commendations from the United States. Quote, the fact that it has chosen to recognize USDT as an official currency is a commendation to the strength of the U.S. dollar and its ability to provide a safe haven to citizens of the world. The significance of this moment goes far beyond the potentials of cryptocurrency to provide financial security, but points to longstanding confidence in the U.S. dollar. For those who do not have confidence in their own governments or national currencies, I shall pause. It sounds to me like the folks over there at Tether are kissing the central bank ass in ways that is just kind of a little disgusting, right? So I, th I think that that's what they're doing here is they're trying to play nice with the Federal Reserve and say, no, man, we think the dollar's good, bro. We're just, we're just digitizing it, man, and, and, and check it out. Now Burma's using it. Uh, I don't buy it, but whatever. <clears throat> the NUG's USDT adoption came as a surprise to many given the controversies surrounding the stablecoin issuer's reserves. However, from a transactional point of view, USDT is still one of the primary choices on crypto exchanges around the globe. The NUG is currently raising funds to the tune of $1 billion US dollars, and the adoption of USDT comes as a measure against the current military regime. Cryptocurrency use was prohibited by the Myanmar Central Bank in May last year, and NUG's adoption of the crypto stablecoin shows how these digital assets are not just reshaping financial markets, but also serving as political tools. So when I first reported on this, and that, that was when I, uh, it was December 13th that I reported on this, either that or it was December 14th, I can't remember which, um, I reported on it, but I had no idea, like I didn't know, I had never heard of the shadow government of Burma. I had never heard of any of this. So I wasn't quite sure if it was true or not. But now it seems that there's another piece of evidence to suggest that they really have adopted Tether as a local currency. But how does that work? If you've got a military regime that is in control of everything, how I'm not exactly certain how this is going to work, but Tether, what do you guys think? I don't use it. I don't care. I, I, I have never really cared about Tether because I don't use it. I don't need it. I, 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 I don't care. And my question here is why not just use Bitcoin? Why not just use Lightning Network? Why not take a cue from El Salvador? Because it's much easier, it seems like it would be much easier to do that than using Tether, but <clears throat> whatever. They can do what they want. I just hope Burma uh, comes back on the world scene instead of this idiocy that is Myanmar. Speaking, speaking of Elizabeth Warren, DeFi is one of the shadiest parts of crypto. Andrew Asmakov has it for Decrypt.co. All right. I may agree with uh, many points here. So 
don't think that I'm an Elizabeth Warren fan. I don't like her. She lied about her heritage to get an Ivy League job that she gets paid so much for that you and I could only hope to be able to get something like that in payment. And we'd actually have to produce goods and services instead of chilling out in an office and teaching kids. Massachusetts Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren has again stepped into the limelight for her comments about the fast-growing sector of decentralized finance and the role of stablecoins in the niche. Speaking at a Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs hearing on Wednesday, Warren described stablecoins as the lifeblood of the DeFi ecosystem where they are used to trade between different coins as well as to lend and borrow money outside of regulated the, the regulated banking system. Uh, Warren also stated that stable coins pose risk to consumers and the economy because they are propping up one of the shadiest parts of the crypto world, DeFi, where consumers are least protected from getting scammed. According to Warren, DeFi is where the regulation is effectively absent and no surprise, it's where the scammers and the cheats and the swindlers mix among part-time investors and first-time crypto traders, end quote. Further, she said, our regulators need to get serious about clamping down before it's too late. At the same hearing, Warren's fellow party member, Senator Sherrod Brown, labeled stablecoins as magic money, saying they are neither decentralized nor transparent. Quote, if you put your money in stable coins, there's no guarantee you're going to get it back, warned the Ohio Senator. Senator Warren's latest comments on DeFi and stable coins are just the latest episode in her ongoing criticism of the larger crypto industry. Uh, quote, all the warning signs are flashing, Warren said at one time. Quote, the hype, the volatility, the wild claims that turn out to be false. As the crypto market grows, so does the risk to our financial stability and our economy, end quote. Earlier this month, pretty much in line with the popular climate change narrative, she also took aim at New York-based Bitcoin mining firm Greenwich Generation, raising concerns about its impact upon the environment. Prior to that, in an interview with CNBC, Warren stated that, quote, one of the easiest and least disruptive things we can do to fight the climate crisis is to crack down on environmentally wasteful cryptocurrencies. So there you go. There's the article. Now, Warren is smart. I'm going to give her that. She's not an idiot. She did not get to where she was by being an idiot. She gets got to where she was by being a conniving, backstabbing piece of shit that will actually throw Ameri- you know, native indigenous peoples under the bus to serve her own, you know, her own ends, but she is she's she's not dumb. It's the fact that she can sleep with herself by doing all this stuff that gives her her superpower. Because if I were to try this crap, I would feel so bad about the human being that I've become that I would not be able to sleep very well at night. She apparently can. Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe she's like, you know, the undead or something. And she's just walking around being a vampire all the time and never actually sleeps. But be that as it may. She is targeting the two things uh, that she can, and they're the smartest two targets to take on. One, she's not really able to go after after DeFi, but she can kind of go after stablecoins like Tether and USDC, you know, the, the circle uh, version of Tether. That she very well can possibly go after. I mean, how how effective it will be, I don't know. But it demonstrates the fact that if she were to try to go after certain projects in DeFi, that would fail. That's whack-a-mole. But she's not incorrect that DeFi is supercharged by the input and outputs of stablecoin. 
And if she that that boils the entire ocean that is DeFi, which is in my opinion worthless, at least right now. I, I don't think decentralized finance is worthless. I think what it's being used for now to be, you know, farming and yielding and pineappling and sushiing and all that shit, that isn't finance. That's not financing anything in the real world. Okay. Decentralized finance is somehow or another, I don't have to use a bank to be able to buy a house, a car, an airplane, land, ranch, all that kind of stuff, cattle, you know, cause that's all the, yeah, well, I don't want the plane, but I do want cattle. I do want a ranch. I do want land. And I'd like to be able to finance that, but I'm not going to use sushi. I'm going to use Bitcoin. But this boils the whole, what we have in DeFi now is a whole cesspool ocean and she can boil all that down by cutting off the input and the output. And that is the stablecoin. She's not fucking dumb. The second point of attack is the ESG narrative. That's going to be more difficult for her to be able to work on. So I expect Elizabeth Warren to start really late getting laser focused on USDT, USDC, and like B, uh, whatever the Binance's version is, that there's like five or six of uh, stable coins now that are fairly popular and well used. I'm sure there's more than that, but as far as usage and volume is concerned, we got like four or five. Expect Warren to become laser focused on destroying stable coins because if she can destroy that, then she evaporates the cesspool that is DeFi, at least DeFi right now. Continuing with a different tact, we have the IMF chief economist calling for global policies on cryptocurrency. Arnold Karimi is writing it for Cointelegraph. Gita Gopinath, the chief economist of the International Monetary Fund, has called for a global policy to be put in place that will regulate cryptocurrency instead of banning it. Pitching for global policy, Gopinath who will soon take charge as the deputy managing director of the IMF, argued that if countries were to ban crypto, then they would not have any control over offshore exchanges that are not subject to their country's regulations, which could result in them being ignored completely. Quote, there are challenges to banning it, whether you can end up with truly banning crypto because many exchanges are offshore and they are not subject to regulations of a particular country, Goenpath said at an event organized by the National Council of Applied Economic Research. Gita's remarks come as nations around the world consider how to control cryptocurrencies. As Cointelegraph reported in September, the People's Bank of China, the PBOC, officially unveiled a series of new measures to combat crypto adoption in China, including enhancing interdepartmental cooperation and suppressing crypto activity. Earlier this month, the Russian Central Bank officially prohibited mutual funds from investing in Bitcoin. In India, the government is seeking cabinet approval for a bill that would regulate cryptocurrencies. The official cryptocurrency and regulation of official digital currency bill of 2021 was expected to be presented during Parliament's winter session, but top government sources indicate that, that optimism is slim. In the United Kingdom, members of Parliament have urged the Financial Conduct Authority to limit cryptocurrency firms' usage of the words invest and investment for marketing purposes. The advertising watchdog in the UK has since issued several rulings on ad violations involving six crypto-related firms, including Coinbase, Kraken, eToro, Exmo, Crypto Broker, Coinburp, and Luna or Luno Crypto Exchange. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. 
And that's going to do it for that particular article. So the IMF in there weighing in again, uh, this is where they were. We are at the edge of the uh, then they fight you situation. Um, it's going to get nasty. It's going to get ugly. If I were you, I would just hold Bitcoin and honestly nothing else because most of the other things they have offices and phones and mail, you know, emails and people that have homes that they can go to and knock on the door and say, hello, would you please come with us to ask us questions? And then basically you're just going to end up getting hammered. So be aware, just buy Bitcoin. It's the only thing that is truly decentralized. Now, <clears throat> uh, NFTs, get ready for trademark violations. Yay. And honestly, I don't care. Uh, like It's like, for me, NFTs at this point are sort of like stable coins. I don't buy them. I don't need them. I don't have any use for them. Fuck them. I don't care. Birkin handbag creator Hermes apparently does because he is calling or they are calling uh, Meta Birkin NFTs trademark infringement. Jason Nelson brings it to us from uh, brings it to us from crypto or sorry, actually decrypt.com. Hermes, the company behind the famous Birkin line of handbags, has spoken out against a collection of NFTs, Meta Birkins, calling them an infringement on Hermes' trademark. Quote, Hermes did not authorize nor consent to the commercialization or creation of our Birkin bag by Mason Rothschild in the metaverse, a Hermes representative told the Financial Times, which first reported the news on December the 10th. Quote, these NFTs infringe upon the intellectual property and trademark rights of Hermes and are an example of fake Hermes products in the metaverse. End quote. A physical Birkin handbag can sell between 9000 and $500,000 or more. In 2012, Auction House Sotheby's released a list of top six most expensive Hermes Birkin bags. A diamond-encrusted handbag, Sac Bijou Birkin, was priced at $2 million for a handbag. That's what these people spend their money on. Can you imagine being that vacuous, that vapid, that idiotic? A handbag that's encrusted with diamonds. Are you stupid? I, you know, honestly, I can't, I can't even read the rest of this shit because I'm actually looking at a, a furry bag that was one of those uh, Meta Birkins. It's a pitch, it's an NFT of a, of a Birkin bag that looks like it's covered with fur and it's an NFT and it sold for $600,000. So what to say about this? Trademark infringement is going to come all over the place as, as we enter into this metaverse bullshit and NFTs are sidling right alongside it. And they're actually kind of, when you think about it, a perfect fit for each other. You're going to have real world teams of lawyers breathing down your neck 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It will not stop. You will continuously be in court. It's going to suck, which is why I'm glad that I don't give a shit about NFTs because I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right. We're getting close to uh, the end of, end of uh, where I'm recording live shows uh, for the year. 
I probably will not be recording. Um, I think Friday will be the last show that I do before I see you guys back on the new year. Unless something interesting happens around Christmas holidays, okay? There, you never know. I might I might pop in with, with an episode or two. And this time I'm not going to, uh, I, I don't know, I, I may put up a rerun of like an untapped growth episode or something like that. But honestly, you know, it's it's not really necessary. I always come back. I'm not leaving for good. But it will like, you know, Friday, I was, was that tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is tomorrow. Uh, yep. Certainly. Uh, Friday, December the 17th will be the last show for the year. Um, most likely. So, um, don't think that I'm leaving for good. I'm not, I'll, I'll be back, but I gotta, I want to hang out with my family for Christmas and do all the Christmas things and feel, try to get the Christmas spirit going on and, you know, not have to do it with a liter of brandy. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so when I am gone, y'all be good to each other. Okay. You'll see me on Twitter though. I guarantee it. Um, so with that said, I actually do need to have, uh, uh, the next to last dad joke. And here it is. I never remember what people tell me at new year's parties. It goes in one year and out the other. As always, if you want to support the show, please do so by listening to the podcast on any one of the Podcasting 2.0 applications. There's Sphinx Chat, there's Fountain App, there is, uh, I think, uh, not Blue Wallet, what I was trying to say. Uh, Okay, that's bugging me that I can't remember the name of that app. Hold on. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. If I don't find it real quick, then I'll let, I'll, I'll just let it roll. Breeze, Breeze, the Breeze wallet has a podcast player inside of it. And you can use your Breeze wallet to stream me Satoshi's live while you listen, well, not live, but while you listen to the show. And, you know, if you, that's my preferred way of having you guys support this show. I was looking at my at Thunder Hub earlier today, uh, kind of peering into the window, into my lightning node. And I continuously get Satoshi stringed to me and every single one of them is more exciting than if somebody gave me a dollar any other way. I don't, that's probably not the best way to go around looking at this kind of thing, but I can't help it. It is. It's the most wonderful thing in the world to see Satoshi stream in. If you want to support me in other ways, five-star reviews on Apple iTunes are, are, you know, they're great. They really, really help. Word of mouth is the absolute best uh, advertising anybody can ever get. So if you just tell somebody about, hey, you want to listen to the news of what's going on in Bitcoin and sometimes the wider crypto land and some other things as well, here's your variety show and just send them a link to my podcast. That would be much appreciated too. Um, There's many ways to support me and I appreciate all the support that I've already gotten and will continue to to, uh, really enjoy all the support that uh, I will be getting over the years, I hope. Anyway, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.